morning and welcome. Welcome to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I want to welcome everyone who's listening, whether you're here in the nation's capital or Washington, D.C., over Radio 1, WOL, 1450 AM, WOLDCnews.com. One of the things that we're doing now is we're podcasting the shows. So if you missed the program or you have friends who wanted to listen to it, you know, at any time, because podcasts are great because they're available 24-7, they're free, you can just go to Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, I, those are the ones I know, but any of the major podcasting platforms. And I have a young man with a, a very nice business that posts these shows for me. And if you want that kind of work done or you want to do an ad or something like that, give me a call at 240-638-2828, and I'll be glad to share his information with you. You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell, where we bring you information that is really difficult to get anywhere else, at least not in a public forum like this, and where you have the opportunity to call in and ask questions about this most important of subjects, which is how do you protect yourself, your property, your money, your homes, your benefits, and how do you direct and make sure that they go where you want them to go when you pass from this world? This program is brought to you by my law office, Wills and Trusts, LLC, where the only kind of law we do is to prepare wills, trusts, power of attorneys, advanced medical directives. We review your deeds, and if you want us to, we will certainly help you to make sure that the beneficiary designations on your life insurance policies, retirement accounts, bank accounts, as appropriate, are are what you want them to be. They are consistent with your current wishes. So if you or someone you know needs a will or trust or assistance in administering an estate or a trust, give us a call at Wills and Trust LLC. 240-638-2828. It's 240-638-2828. And we'll be glad to work with you and your family or with you to do what needs to be done to protect you. And then to make sure that the right people get your stuff. And when I say right people, I mean who you want to get the benefit of what you've worked for all your life. Um, And although I use the word person, we include and I encourage you to consider to include charitable organizations, churches, sororities, fraternities, uh, medical research facilities. Uh, I have clients who've left money to the National Rehabilitation Hospital because they had a stroke and they were well cared for there had other people who've left money for uh, cancer uh, hospitals or or facilities because they took such good care of either them or their their relatives. Um, I've had people leave money to sickle cell anemia research and, of course, to uh, HBCUs, Howard University, Fisk University, um, uh, any of them, Coppin State, all, all of the various universities both uh, majority and minority uh, 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 organizations that give educational benefits uh, to people, to the public, and to sometimes people have a particular, um, say they they got a degree in finance, and so they want their money to be used to educate people studying finance or environmental sciences or um, whatever, whatever your wish is, whatever you want to benefit. And, of course, a lot of people leave money for their churches. So give us a call at 240-638-2828. Let us help you use the law to accomplish your own objectives. 
You have an absolute right to do so, but you have to make use of the law. It has to be in writing, and it has to be in a properly executed document as well. So that's the kind of law we do, and we'll be glad to help you if you're in Washington, D.C., Maryland, or Northern Virginia. I'm trying to put together a list of lawyers that do this kind of work in other states as well. Uh, because people do call me from other states, but I'll be glad to share whatever information I have and work with you to make this happen. Law is powerful. It can help you or it can hurt you. It impacts everything that you do. What you don't know can hurt you, and what you do know empowers you. So each week, Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell aims to empower you by discussing the law, making myself available to answer your questions and explaining how the general principles of law are applied, what they are and how they are applied. So make use of this opportunity to call in now while I'm on the air at 1-800-450-7876. 1-800-450-7876. Call in now while I'm on the air, and call in early so I have a chance to, you know, answer your questions. A lot of times people wait until the end of the program, and then I just don't have time to answer your questions. Um, um, And there are no dumb questions, by the way, so don't be ashamed if you don't know something. This is a rather complicated area of the law, and unfortunately, a lot of people think it's simple, Anybody can do it. They can just go get a form. And I have had the unpleasant experience of seeing a lot of waste and family disruption uh, where people did not take the appropriate steps to secure their property, to secure their families, even so-called well-educated, intelligent people. Uh, sometimes just think this is just so simple that they can do it themselves or it doesn't need to be done. You know, some people even say, well, let them fight it out. And they don't realize that that's a, that's a waste of their money and their assets because the only people that benefit at that point are the lawyers who are getting fees for fighting it out. And it's just a waste and it's just not necessary to do that. So call me now while I'm on the air if you have questions at 1-800-450-7876, or call the office at 240-638-2828, and we'll be glad to work with you. Before I get started with the subject that I particularly want to uh, talk about today, I want to also remind everyone, particularly those of you in Virginia, uh, there's a big voting thing going on right now. There is the opportunity to either solidify the gains that we have or lose them. So don't sit back and not vote. If you are eligible to vote in Virginia, please go in and vote. Whatever way you want to vote, but vote. Don't sit back and let power be taken or shifted away or shifted back to a way that's not in your best interest. And this is true all over the country. A lot of times people don't vote during the this when it's not a presidential election, and so the country tends to slide backwards. So please, you're awakened now. Make sure that things keep going in the direction that you want them to go by continuing to vote and being a part of the process, exercising the power that you have. You really have power, so you will lose it if you don't use it. So. Vote, definitely vote. Now, remember, whatever I, you hear on the program is for information purposes only. There's no attorney-client relationship established by anything said on the program. Each person's circumstances is different, and you must seek individual counsel for legal advice. Um, Go to my podcast. I have a podcast now called Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. 
You can hear it at any time that you'd like over Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of the different things and that you want um, uh, to listen to. And um, um, I will be uh, able to hopefully educate you on the things that you need to know. I thought today that I would talk about something that comes as a surprise to many people, but I want you to know about it, and I want you to uh, inform those that you know, whether you are a grandparent, a parent, or not. A lot of people assume that you don't need a will because if you have children, your children are going to inherit your property. And if one of your children dies before you, your grandchildren, their children, will inherit their share. That's a, that's a major misconception. Let me make something clear today. Because a lot of people, this is coming as a major surprise. And a lot of people are losing out on property and money because their parents or their grandparents did not do a will. The law says, so let's, let's, let's talk about this. What happens to property when the person who would have inherited dies before the person who owns the property dies? So let me put some names around here and some meat on the bones of this one. You hear me say all the time that every responsible adult needs three documents. They need a last will and testament, they need a power of attorney, and they need a medical directive. The power of attorney and the medical directive is for while you are alive. That's to nominate somebody or to name somebody and authorize and empower them to sign legal documents for you if you can't and to make health care decisions for you, of course, while you're alive, if you can't, okay? Those two are for while you're alive. And the last will and testament is for when you die. Now, when you die, the only thing that you can pass down is what you own. When you die. So let's talk about Mr. Robert Jones. You know, I like that name. Mr. Robert Jones, I may need to get his other name, but we'll stick with Mr. Robert Jones right now. Mr. Robert Jones has a home. We'll put him in D.C. because homes in D.C. are very valuable. He has some bank accounts. To keep it simple, let's say that his wife has already died. But he had three children, and each of those children had two children of their own. So Mr. Robert Jones is in his early 70s. He's not married. He has three adult children who are in their 50s, and each of them have children who might be in their 30s. So we're talking about all adults here. And one of Mr. Robert Jones's children dies while Mr. Jones is alive. So let's put some names on them. Let's say Mr. Robert Jones's children's names are Sadie Jones, uh, Sharon Jones, and Robert Jones Jr. Okay? And let's say Sadie Jones had two children. But unfortunately, Sadie Jones died before her father, Mr. Robert Jones. Sadie Jones had two children of her own, and let's say her children's name are Bobby Jones and Bernard Jones. They're adults, keep it simple. But Mr. Robert Jones, whose name is on the deed to his house, is alive after Sadie Jones died. 
Mr. Robert Jones probably assumed that he doesn't need to do a will because he doesn't have a wife. Any lawyer will tell you that your children, if you have children, will inherit when you die, even if you don't have a will. I mean, if you don't have a will that says differently. You can you can have a will that says something totally different. You don't have to leave your, your stuff to your children in your will. But if you don't have a will, your children will inherit. If you have children and um, you don't have a spouse. Well, what a lot of people don't know is that your children's children will not inherit their parents' share if their parent died before you. Let me explain the set the scene again. Mr. Robert Jones owns a home. Let's put it in D.C. so it's worth a good three or $400,000. Mr. Robert Jones' wife is deceased, and he has three children, Sadie Jones, Sally Jones, and Robert Jones, Jr. They're in their 50s, and they each have children. Ms. Sadie Jones, however, dies before her father. Ms. Sadie Jones, however, has two children, Bobby and Bernard. You might think that Bobby and Bernard would step into Ms. Sadie Jones's shoes so that when Mr. Robert Jones, their grandfather, dies, they would get the share that would have gone to their mother. But the law doesn't work like that. The law does not work like that. The law says that as long as Mr. Robert Jones is alive, he is the sole owner of his house. If he does not do a will that says Miss Sadie Jones' children receives her share, or what would have been her share. Then, when he dies, and Miss Sadie Jones is already dead, her children will not inherit from him. The law of intestacy says, in most states, that if your child dies before you, then your ch- your child's children will not receive their share, predeceased share, unless you have a will that says so. So what we're learning and what's happening now is a lot of people are coming up and they're trying to get their grandparents' share, property, whatever it is. And they're assuming that they all stand in equal shares together. But the law says, no, wait a minute. If if the property still belonged to Mr. Jones and somebody died who would have otherwise inherited, if he didn't do a will to protect those grandchildren, then, you know, they don't get anything. And that's quite contrary to what most people would think. So it's, and in some of the cases that I've had, the grandparents have actually taken the children in and raised those children as if they were their own. They have taken their children's children and raised them. And I remember in one case in particular, the grandparent was actually closer to those children the grandchildren, that is, than they were to their own children. So you really have to protect anyone that you want to make sure receives your property by doing a will. You have to do a last will and testament. Please share this with your elders, Share this with your ancestors. Act on it yourself. Uh, Even when you do a will, it is wise to say in your will, I give 
so-and-so to such-and-such a person. And if that person dies before me, I give their share to somebody else. Or your will can say their share lapses, meaning in legal, that's legalese for saying it just dissolves and it stays in the pot to be distributed as all the rest of it, what we call the residuary share. Because the law does not recognize an inheritance of property until you have died. The law does not recognize that you have the right to property until the person who owns that property dies. So if your grandparents is alive when their child dies. The children of the predeceased, we call them predeceased child, or that child who died before them had not received the right to inherit from their parent. The grandparent, Mr. Jones, in this instance, was still alive. So when Miss Sadie Jones died, she had not received the right to inherit from her father. The children can only receive what Miss Sadie Jones received. And she didn't get anything because her father was still alive when she died. So if you want to protect your grandchildren, because this comes up a lot, it, you know, usually when a parent has died, and so you assume that the grandchildren step in their shoes. In most states, now, now, you know, you have to check with your own state, the law of intestacy in your own state and all like that. But by and large, inheritance does not do what we call vesting until the person dies. And the person entitled to inherit at that point then inherits. But if they are already dead, they don't inherit. Okay, unless you have a will that clearly says that they do. You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. I'm trying to explain to you how the law works in this most important of arenas, property, money, assets, inheritance. You know, it's important to know these things and to make use of them. Uh, when I come back after the break, because I have to go to break soon, when I come back after the break, I want to share with you some examples of things that parents and grandparents have done in their wills and their trusts that are that we set up like 10, 12, 15 years ago, and they're really benefiting young people now. They really are benefiting young people now. And I want to explain to you how you can do that for your own children, your own grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your friends, anyone, godchildren that you may want. But you have to set it up with a lawyer who does this kind of work. But it makes such a difference, or it can make such a difference in a person's life. So give me a call while I'm on the air now. 1-800-450-7876 or call me in the office at 240-638-2828, 240-638-2828, and we'll be glad to set up an appointment to work with you and to get these things done so that those that you want to protect are really protected. And those that you want to benefit are benefited. Most of us were not born with a silver spoon, as I used to say, meaning that, you know, nobody left us any money. They might have left some land, but they didn't leave any money. And you have the opportunity now to do that. You have the opportunity to do that. One of the things that I hear from people who work in, let's just say, some in religious institutions, some in retail, uh, is that 
a lot of big organizations are recognizing that African-American people have money. We have money. We are savers. We are diligent, and we are uh, we buy property. We hold on to property. We save. We are careful with our money, um, and we are learning how to invest it and manage it and grow it. And now, what I want us to learn is how to pass it down so that we can create intergenerational wealth. That's something that we have not been very good at. And that is often the only reason, that's the only difference between the African-American community and the white community. They've had 400 years ahead of us of being able to save, being able to invest, and being able to pass it down. We've only been in that situation at the most 100 years, if you consider the Civil War, but really, in effect, only about 50 years since the 60s, when the voting rights and the anti-discrimination laws, covenants about owning property and so on like that, started to come into being, started to come into being. And the uh, a little bit of affirmative rights, you know, got started. They had affirmative rights for 400 years. They're fussing because we've had it for 40 years. But we are making good use of it. Now we have to master intergenerational wealth, passing it down, learning to grow it, learning to protect it, and teaching the next generation what to do with it. The objective of this program is to empower you. It's to empower you to learn how to protect and increase your own wealth and then how to pass it down to create intergenerational wealth. A lot of the people who live, especially in this area, in the metropolitan area of Washington, D.C., whether it's in Maryland or Virginia, because Maryland and Virginia feed off of D.C. D.C. is truly the golden, I forgot there was a term, you know, the, the, the golden cow, the golden calf, whatever it is, because it's the head of government. It's considered one of the most powerful cities in the world. Uh, there's so much money that the government has and spends, and so that money is headquartered here by and large. Companies come here to be close to getting contracts and influencing law and so forth. And um, uh, so the values of properties here in D.C. are just rising exponentially. Um, and for a long time, uh, people owned property here. They were able to buy it for not as much money as they need now. A lot of my clients say they're so sorry that their parents or they sold their homes in D.C. and moved to Maryland or Virginia because they can't afford to buy back here. So wherever you are in the world, but wherever you are, certainly in the United States, whether it's D.C., Maryland, Mississippi, Texas, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, whatever you own, that is part of your financial legacy, and that can be passed on as your continuing legacy to those that you love. You should have a three primary documents, in particular, a last will and testament, power of attorney, and a medical directive. A trust is extremely helpful if you want to continue your legacy for the benefit of others, especially minor children, over a long period of time. So let me explain how a trust works and give you some examples of what my clients have actually done. And I've been doing it now in D.C., for 20-some years, and so I'm seeing trust that I created 15 years ago. The benefit of those are, 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 are being seen now. I mean, we're, we're, we're uh, administering trust. 
children are receiving money that was put aside for them 10, 15 years ago. And this whole notion of intergenerational wealth, the transfer of property, the deeding of homes from one generation to the next when one person dies, um, it actually happens. This, I, we, I, we do this all day long, every day, five days a week, okay? And so you can do it. You can create intergenerational wealth, and it will make a huge difference in the lives of the next generation, whether that is your, those are your children, your grandchildren. I had one man who created a trust for his great-grandchildren, okay? And now they're starting to benefit from it because it was specifically for education. It was only when they were getting ready to go into college or trade school or, you know, whatever it was. It was after they finished high school. And now he died 10 years ago. And now these children who were babies when he died set up a trust, set up the funds. That money has doubled and tripled and quadrupled and so on. And so when those children who are now getting ready to graduate from high school, they now are able to have access to the money that their great-grandfather left for them, and they can use it, and they are using it to pay for college, pay for trade school, to pay for the things that they need. So they're not starting from scratch. And their parents are helped tremendously by what their grandparents did. Okay. And in, like I said, great grandparents also. So let me explain how a trust works and how you can set up this for your own children, grandchildren, or great grandchildren. Okay. You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. The name of my company is Wills and Trust LLC. This is the only kind of work that we do. Now, of course, I do wills. Not everybody needs a trust, okay? Not everybody wants to take care of generation unto generation. They're pleased and happy to simply give it to their children, and they're done with it. It's okay. Uh, but if you want to, trust is very useful because what it does is it says it's, it's a legal – it's created by a legal document like everything. You've never seen a corporation. Think about it. You know about corporations, but you've never seen one. It's created by a piece of paper, and then it's administered by individual people. A trust is the same way. A trust is created by a lawyer for your benefit. You create the trust. You settle the trust. You're called the settler. comes from the old English where you used to settle a trust. So you're called a settlor, sometimes a grantor, okay? And then the person that is going to administer the trust is called the trustee. In revocable trust, which is 99.9% .9 of the trust that I do for people, you are both the settlor and the trustee. So you've created the trust and you manage the trust. And as long as you are alive, and in your right mind, you can change the terms of the trust and change it to suit what you want. But more importantly, it's only for your use. Uh, this is not something you do yourself. This is not something you buy off the counter or off the Internet. This is very complicated, and it should be done by an individual lawyer who does this kind of work for you and your individual situation. So as I stated before, a trust starts with a document that defines who you are, what your property is, and how you want it to be distributed. A revocable trust, which is 99% of the trust that, that's at least certainly created in general, but also in my office, is a trust that you maintain control of, you have the benefit of it, 
and it is only for your benefit, just like any other property you own, until you die. You have the right to change it. You can change the beneficiaries. You can change the terms. Just like you can change your will, you can change your trust as well. You define who you want to be your beneficiaries, and you define how the money that you leave, the property that you leave, is to be used. When I say you define, your lawyer writes in your trust what your wishes are and writes it in the appropriate language so that it's carried out. So let me give you some examples of things that I've done for some clients, and we're seeing the benefit of it now. I had a client who was in his 90s, mid to late 90s, when he came to me. He was in his right mind. He was um, a little ill, but not but he was mobile. He, he, he drove to the office, drove back. He was quite lucid. He knew exactly what he wanted. He could tell me exactly, you know, not just what he wanted, but how he wanted it. And, you know, he, he said, my children are grown. They're in their 60s. You know, I got grandchildren. They're in their 40s. You know, most of them have finished college. They're working and so on like that. And many of them have children. So I was like, and he had, he had, significant assets and he he had a house he was married his wife was still alive at the time and he had um, money you know in a brokerage account checking account so on like that so I said to him how do you want this to be used when you die how do, what, what do you want done you know because that's what I asked I I, you tell me what you want. I may have some suggestions after you give me an idea of what you want, but I am guided by your wishes, and that's what I prepare. I don't prepare. You know, I may tell you this is what is often done, but you have to say, yes, that sounds good. I know I want something different. And I remember with this particular person that I'm thinking of, and I'm certainly not going to give its name out, I wouldn't do that. But with this particular person, he was very clear about who he wanted to benefit. First, he wanted to make sure that his wife was taken care of if he died before his wife. And so I said, okay, we'll say in your trust that if you die before your wife, another trust will be created when you die with money that is solely to be used for her care. And she will have the right to remain in the home for the rest of her life. Because he was 90, his wife was 80, okay? So definitely going to take care of her. And we named a person, one of his children, who was closer to his wife than the others, to be in charge of the trust that would be created after his death for his wife. And then it said, when my wife dies, and this is in the separate trust, it's called a subtrust. It was called the, let's say, Mr. Robert Jones's trust for Miss Ada Jones, his wife. And he did, in fact, die before his wife. So when he died, a separate bank account a new bank account with a new EIN number and a new successor trustee, which is one of his children who was close to his wife, was created to manage the money. He left a certain amount of money for his wife, provided that she could stay in the house for the rest of her life. And so this daughter was the trustee, the separate bank account that we put the money in. She managed the house. She took care of the wife, the mother, made sure she, her, 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 you know, she was well cared for, you know, the, the, the home care aides, the nursing aides, the medical care, everything that the wife needed was provided for. Separately and apart from this trust for the wife was another child 
who was very businesslike and was very good with money, and the, and the trust clearly outlined, this is what I want you to do with the rest of my money. It said, give X amount of money to each of my children. And so when he died, we had already had his bank accounts transferred into the name of his trust. We had had his home transferred into the name of his trust. We never went to court. One of the beauties of a trust is that it is entirely private and you don't have to go to court for anything if it's done correctly. If not only is it the document prepared correctly, but it is properly funded. So we were very careful. It took a lot of time and effort, but we made sure that all of his bank accounts were in the name of his trust. His home was deeded into the name of the trust. And so we never had to go to court for anything. Instead, his trustee, he had a successor trustee that he named, another one of his children, who managed the bulk of the trust. Remember I said there was a trust created after his death for his wife, and then his regular trust said, pay X amount of money to each of my children. And then it said, pay Y amount of money to each of my grandchildren. Because if you remember, his children were in their 60s and 70s, and his grandchildren were in their 40s. So they were grown, okay? But he had a crop of great-grands that were just either just born, I think only one was old enough to go to college. And I remember distinctly how gratifying it was to be able to give that child the money for him to go to college because he, his mother and father were, had not been able, he desperately wanted to go to college. He had started, but he had to drop out because they didn't have the money to do it. And I, I, I remember the feeling of being able to sit with this man's successor trustee. We contacted the, the child's parent, who was 18, and we said, we have a check for X amount of money for him to go to college. And and I, I I still get choked up a little bit when I think about it. And and he was smart. He also said the money had to be paid directly to the college. Okay? So so it wasn't gonna be used for anything else. All right. But I I remember thinking about that young man, because it was a young man in a different state. And he had real he was really a nice young man and he wanted to go to college. He had started but he wasn't able to finish. He wasn't he was going to a community college too. And, you know, so they didn't have a lot of money. And his great-grandfather, when he died, had said in his trust that X amount of money would be used for the education of his great-grandchildren. And so shortly after he died, one of his great-grandchildren, the oldest, was able to go back to college because his great-grandfather had had a trust prepared and had set it up so that that money was there for him to get an education and go on with his life. That's intergenerational planning. Okay? You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. Stay tuned. I will. I have to go to break. But call me when you have questions about these kinds of things, please. 1-800-450-7876. 1-800-450-7876. Seven eight seven six, or call me in the office at Wills and Trust LLC, two four zero six three eight two eight two eight. That's my office number, two four zero six three eight two eight two eight, and we'll work with you to set this up for your family, because you can do it. It does not mean that you have to have a whole lot of money. Whatever you have is yours, and the law gives you the right and the power to direct its use, and you should do that. You should absolutely do it because somebody's going to take advantage of what you have. 
and you might as well control that process through your will or through your trust. Anyway, got to go to break. I'll be right back. Call when you have questions, and I'll continue to explain to you this is real life I'm talking about. These are things that my office has actually done for people. And now that was that particular trust that I'm talking about. That man died about 10, maybe even 12 years ago. So now some of the babies, some of those who were babies when he died, now they're beginning to get ready to go to college. And so now they're coming back to the successor trustee who created the educational trust funds to receive the money that will help them go to college as well. Some examples of things that um, some of my clients have done, creating intergenerational wealth. Um, One of the examples I just gave was of a great-grandfather who whose trust I created, God, 10, 15 years ago. And he had, that's why I tell you, you can have specific amounts in your trust and or will of, of monetary gifts. You can say, I leave $5,000 for this person, $10,000 for this person, you know, specific amounts for each person. And then what I like to do is, or I recommend that you do is say all the rest of my estate. And if it's a will, that's called the residuary estate. Every will should have what's called the residuary clause, which says anything else that I haven't said about already, anything else I own when I die goes. And then you say to whom it goes. And what you can often do with that is say in percentages. So let's say you have two or three houses and you're not quite, and you've got X amount of money. You don't know how much money you're going to have left when you die. Nobody knows that. Okay. You don't know when you're going to die anyway. And so sometimes it's easier to say, and I leave 50% of it to one person and I leave 50% to another person. One of the things that you can say, you can have, a group of beneficiaries. So in the example that I was talking about just now, this man said X percentage, I've forgotten what it was, but X percent of what's left over in a trust, you call it all the rest. No, it's called the remaining principal and income of my trust. Okay. I leave and it went, you know, 50% to somebody and the other 50% to be used to establish the, whatever his name was, the Mr. Robert Jones in my example, which I like that name, Mr. Robert Jones's educational trust. And then we listed the names of the great grandchildren who would receive this money. Now, as I remember, he had, let's just say, 10, 10 great-grandchildren at the time. And we, had, and we put a little clause in there that said, if more great-grands are born before I die, then they will automatically be included in this group. So that's the way. I, 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 a lot of my clients who are in their 30s and 40s, when I say, I would like to put in that any other children you have born before you die, and they look at me like really strangely, like we're not having no more children, you know, and I'm like, okay, fine, fine, but I'd rather put it in than not have it in so that if you do come up with a surprise child, like I know people do, that child is not left out in the cold, okay, because we didn't name them. They weren't here when you were, when you were doing this, um, but that's just a way of making sure all children or great-grands, whatever that group is that you want to include, will be included. Now, we only included those who were born while he was alive. We didn't try to include those born after his death. There is a way to do that, but we didn't do that in this instance, okay? 
So what he said was, I want to create an educational fund out of, let's say, 50% of what's left in my trust. I have to give the gifts away, take care of my wife. And he also had provided that when the wife died, the house was to be sold, and whatever money was left over from the wife's trust. Remember, we had created in the example a trust for the wife. Whatever was left over was to be poured into the educational trust. So as I recall, when the wife died, the house was sold, whatever money was left over, let's say, let's just say $100,000, that went into the educational trust as well. And so what was done was the trustee set up 529 plans for each of those great-grandchildren. Now, 529 is the name of educational plans throughout the country. There are a lot of different, that's the number of the law that created the ability to set, to create particular investment accounts, very, very conservatively invested accounts that you could put money in, in uh, uh, brokerage, brokerage companies do them, you can, you can, and, and this is something you can do without a trust, okay? You can do this without a trust or a will. You can do it right now. In fact, if you are a parent or a grandparent and you want to set aside money for a child's education, every bank every, in every state has what's called 529 plans. Some states have their own, like Virginia has their own educational trust, uh, educational plans and so on. All that is is a bank account where you put money in. Uh, I'm talking about putting money in after somebody dies from a trust, but you can open, and I encourage every young parent, every parent period, but everyone with young people who who are struggling trying to figure out how you're going to educate this child and so on like that, speak to your banker or speak to your financial advisor and you can set up a 529 plan or educational plan with $50. You can get started with it, and then each month, each year, you know, whatever, what you can start to invest and put money into it. Now, there's a special tax law that says uh, parents and grandparents, rather, can put, I think it's $10,000 a year up to five or six years into these plans. And if you have that kind of money, you can dump it in there and not have to pay a gift tax on it. And then that money just starts to grow and grow and grow and grow. And it continues to grow until the child is of an age where he or she is ready to go to school. So that child and that child's parent, if, if you're not the parent, doesn't have to worry about how am I going to educate my child? At least whatever money there is there is available to help with it, okay? It may not be enough to pay all of it, but it's certainly more than starting from scratch, okay? So in my example, let me go back to my example. In my example, the trust that had been, the educational trust that had been created by the great-grandfather, we had divided it up, the trustee created educational funds for each of these great-grandchildren. They were babies, okay? And that money just grew and grew and grew and grew. And now I got to notice that one of them is ready to go to college. And I was like, then use the money to send her to college or him to college. That's what it's for. You don't need to come back to me for that. That's what it was set up for. That's what it's used for. You know, and it's it's already right there. It is it is just such a wonderful benefit, such a wonderful help for someone. Um, had another grandparent who just died, and her trust said, "Divide my trust. You know, whatever's in my trust, sell my house, put it into the trust account. I have four children. Divide." Whatever is left after you sell my house, put all my bank accounts, whatever is left after I die, put them all together, 
give my four children one-fifth. Each of them gets one-fifth, and the last one-fifth is to be used to create an education trust for my grandchildren. So let's say, let's, let's just say, there's $500,000 left when she dies. The successor trustee has it all in one account. The house has been sold, all in one account. Bills have been paid, all in one account. $500,000 left. You sit down, a check is written to each one of those children for $100,000 each. Remember, it's five, one-fifth each. Four children, one-fifth each. Each one gets $100,000. The last one-fifth, $100,000, we open another trust account in the name of, let's say, Mrs. Ada Jones Education Trust. That goes into a special account with its own EIN number. Then we sit down and we say, how many grandchildren? assistant benefit, okay? And, and, and then the decision is made depending on how many there are and how much money there is and what their ages are with the financial advisor, a determination is made, what's the best investment, what's the best way to invest that money so that when those, because they could be different ages, okay? They could be different ages. Sometimes, it stays in a trust, you know, like it did in my first example. Other times, what the, the trust will say is give the money to the parents of the child to form or to establish a 529 plan for their child, the trustors or the settlers' grandchildren, okay? I've had quite a few that do that. I've been explaining to you and giving examples of some of the things that uh, many of uh, that some of my clients have been um, doing with their trust, with their assets, with their money, and how they're creating intergenerational wealth. Uh, one of the examples I gave earlier was a great grandfather who, in his trust, created an educational trust fund for his great-grandchildren, uh, many of whom were babies at the time and are now getting to the age where they need this money to go to school. Another was a person who, um, an example from a grandparent who had established uh, that they had four children and they wanted to do something for their grandchildren, so they gave divided their estate into fifths, five parts instead of four, gave each of the children uh, an equal share, and then had one share for the grandchildren and provided that that share would be divided and used in a certain way. Another example is uh, where the grandparents will say a share, whatever, however they define it, sometimes percentages and so on, will go to, it's actually paid to the parents of the children, and those parents are directed to open a 529 plan with themselves as custodian for the benefit of their children with the money that is left. There are all kinds of different ways that this is done, um, but it is something that you have to have a lawyer to help you with to do. When you have a will or a trust, whichever one it is, you should very clearly set out in that will what happens if one of the persons that you've named to receive money dies before you. I started the program talking about that. People assume that. You don't have to have a will because if you had four children, even if one of those children died before you, their children will stand in their place. Without a will that says that, that is not so. If you die before the person that you're supposed to inherit from dies, there is no inheritance that you got. 
And because you didn't get anything, there's nothing to pass down to your children. So if you are grandparents or parents and you have a child who died before you and left children and you want to make sure that those children get from you, you've got to do a will. If you are a grandchild who expects to receive a part of or your grandparents' inheritance, tell them, the lawyer said, you have got to have a will. They have got to have a will, rather, in order to make sure that you get what they want to leave for you. Because if your parent died before them and you're only inheriting through your parent, if they have any other children or anybody else that would receive that, you're going to be left out in the cold. And I have had a child to put out the children of her sister. I've had another out of the grandmother's house, although that was the only house they knew. I've actually had a child put out her own children from the grandmother's house because the grandmother never did a will, leaving the house to the grandchildren. And so when she died, the child received it. And even though she had raised those grandchildren, considered them her own, her child had some challenges, shall we say, with drug addiction and so on like that. Without a will, the child inherited first. The child inherited first. And that child came in, put her own children out of her grandmother's, out of her mother's house, sold the house and took the money. So I beg of you, please go to a lawyer, get a will done. Encourage your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, to get their wills done. Talk about a trust. It may or may not be needed, okay? You need to have a will if you're an adult, a power of attorney, and a medical directive. Your parents and your grandparents need to have a will, perhaps a, a trust, and also a power of attorney and a medical directive. Give us a call at Wills and Trust LLC. This is all we do at 240-638-2828, 240-638-2828. And we'll be glad to work with you to make sure that your wishes are followed. You've got to make sure that your wishes are followed, okay? So, but you got to put it in writing. You got to put it in writing. Uh, that's 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 required. That's what the law requires. Otherwise, the law is going to write a will for you, and that will that they write under the laws of intestacy probably will not be what you think it should be, and it certainly is not going to create a situation that will last from generation unto generation. The law doesn't work like that. So call us at Wills and Trust, LLC, 240-638-2828, and let me know if you are uh, interested in getting this work done. We will send out the client information form for you to fill out. We'll then schedule a video conference where we can talk about what your needs are, and I can make recommendations as to what you wish. And then we can get started to get all this done. You've been listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. I hope that this has been uh, educational for you. I hope that it's been useful for you. Wherever you live in the United States, in the country, go to a lawyer where you live, in the county or in the state where you live, to a lawyer that does this kind of work, and have them do it for you. Have them make sure that your wishes are carried out in the way that you want, okay? If you like most people in the world, you've worked hard for this, and, and it is truly something that you have to protect. It is truly something that you have to protect. So um, be careful with it, all right? Be careful with it. Um, it, it it's those that you love, those that you care for, will certainly thank you. It will put a roof over their heads, which they wouldn't have otherwise in many instances. Um, but don't get reverse mortgages, please. 
Make sure the deed says your name. Make sure the bank accounts are done properly. It's important. You can do this. You can do this. In the meantime, stay safe. Be careful. Get your vaccinations. Wear your mask. uh, And take care of yourselves, please. Have a good day. This is Attorney Ethel Mitchell.